Good evening. You are listening to the Yena podcast. Today is June the 21st, the uh, winter solstice. So we are recording on a uh, on the longest night, the shortest day. And uh, here in Auckland, it's uh, getting down, uh, I think it's going to be four degrees overnight, which is actually fairly chilly for Auckland. So uh, uh, I'm Craig, and uh, with me tonight, I've got Bronwyn. Hello there. And we've got Mark. Hey, how's it going? Good. So, Mark, I understand that uh, Google has finally solved the issue of getting an AI to be sentient. <laughs> well, well, yes, apparently, or well, so says one Google engineer at the very least. Uh, the rest of Google not so impressed with this. Um, but as I'm sure most people have read, this one Google engineer has basically um, announced publicly against Google's wishes that the AI he's been working on, Lambda, um, is sentient, and he considers Lambda to be the equivalent of about an eight-year-old child in kind of intellect level and emotional maturity. Um, and he's gone and created a website um, where he's pasted a log of chats that he's had with this AI, and it's, it's really interesting to read through. Um, but, yeah, reading the article, I mean, it was great that, you know, most of the news was pretty skeptical right from the get-go. Um, and it seems like the more that details come out, the more reason there is to be skeptical. You guys have read any of the news on this one? Yeah, I've, I've read a reasonable amount about it. So I guess we should uh, get a definition of what does it mean to be sentient? I'm not sure on this podcast we're going to be able to get in the depth that we can actually explain that. I'm not sure anybody's come to a, an acceptable conclusion as to what sentience is, but I am happy to listen to you give it a go, Craig. So as I understand it, it means that it would need to have its own, it would need to be aware of itself um, and and be able to have feelings, as, as I understand sentience. Okay, so, so self-awareness is part of it. Reflect on its own on its own existence, I think, which is what they were, the engineer was getting at, and that he was claiming that um, that it it did appear that this chatbot, which is essentially what it is, is was self-aware, and that it was describing how it would feel if it no longer existed. Yeah, isn't this a philosophical issue of the? Um... There's a the Chinese box or something like that, basically where it's it you get to a point where it can be impossible to tell the difference between something that is sentient and something that's just doing a damn good job of looking like it is. And I think it's to do with um, translation of a ticker tape of characters where the person doesn't know the meaning, but basically you can you can come across as if you understand without actually understanding. And this seems to be what's happened with this Lambda AI. From what I can tell, it's just like a, a pretty advanced version of an NLP. So that's not neuro-linguistic programming, which is nonsense. This is natural language processing. And it's basically a, a system that at its very simplest, it's been trained on a huge amount of writing, um, basically as much of the internet 
as they can crawl is the source material that this um, algorithm has been trained on. And it tries to figure out general rules based on that. And given the rules it learns about how humans write and what the, um, the rules of the language that it's been trained on are, all it does is it guesses the next word that's coming up. You give it a bunch of words, it reads them, and it looks at all the connections it's got from everything it's read, and it goes, I think this word would be the most likely word to be next. And then once it does that, it can do it again, and it can keep doing it until it writes sentences and paragraphs. And there's some cool stuff you can do where you can give it a sentence and it will just keep going on and on. Um, you can give it an article and do the other way around. If you pre-train it on articles and show it summaries, uh, some of the recent NLP algorithms are really good at writing a two-sentence summary of a news article. And I think there are probably news websites out there at the moment that they're not writing these things. They might have a proofreader that just checks them, but their article summaries are most likely being written by an AI. And there's some really cool stuff where you can take this basic idea of understanding and then just guessing what's coming next and you can get it to draw pictures and you can get it to write software and craig i think from a facebook post you put up recently um like me you've been using github copilot yeah i have so essentially what that does is it writes some code for you so you start typing um, some code you might uh, type the name of a function which sort of describes what the function should accomplish, and then magically, well, not really magic, but it seems like it sometimes, you see some code that is a pretty damn good uh, version of what you actually want it to do. It's nice, uh, isn't it? And so sometimes, sometimes if you can't come up with a function name that explains it well enough, you can add a comment. You write a code comment that isn't actually part of the code, and it uses that as well, and it goes off and it thinks about it, and it comes back and goes, hey, here's the code. And it doesn't always get it right. Yeah, but, no. you know, even when it doesn't get it right, often it's close enough that it's, oh, yeah, I just need to tweak this a bit. I get where it went wrong and I'll just edit this bit or I'll remove that bit. Um, and I've had times where this code suggesting piece of AI has actually done better than the code that was in my head. You know, I thought I was writing oh, a certain yeah, yeah. function and it's jumped in and it's come up with a better version of the function. Either it's done better error reporting than me or it's considered an edge case I hadn't even thought of. It's really cool software. Yeah, yeah. And and what I find is that that often <laughs> it's much faster to let, let uh the co-pilot writes some code than it is for me to go and Google it and figure out how to do it. Yeah, because it's been it's been trained it's on the whole of GitHub, this one, right? So it, it's got yeah. a whole bunch of code that it's been trained on. Mm. Um, and so it, it's got a fairly good idea. It's kind of equivalent but, to going on to Stack Overflow and looking, but quicker. Yeah, but, but it's it's even aware of my own code as well. So it yeah, seems so, to wait uh, the, the code that I have written um, and sort of use that as context to inform what it will write. Anyway, we've got off topic. No, but it's, it's such a cool topic. It is really cool. But yes, we have got totally off topic. Okay. To get back on topic, these pieces of software are getting really good at doing what they're doing. And Lambda appears to have done very well at looking like it's human. Well enough that this guy Blake has basically been convinced that it is human. Um, he's been chatting with it and he's had some really nice conversations and it seems like a kindly benevolent soul. Um, 
But there are a few issues. As I was reading through the chat logs, I noticed a few things. And the first thing I noticed was that it's not a single chat session. Blake has basically curated the best of his chats. And often with these bots, they'll kick out some irrelevant stuff, especially if you don't get the um, the metrics right. So you've, you've got a bunch of things that you can play with. Temperature is like a number from zero to five, maybe. And top P, not that I understand what it is. It goes from zero to one. So you've got a couple of variables that you can play around with. And if you get these wrong, these, or even if they're right, the AI sometimes will just go off on a weird tangent. And I'm guessing that this AI went off on tangents that just got cut out of these just, conversations. Just, just like we did. <laughs> oh God, it is human. Um, <laughs> and he's also, so he's, you know, and he's also spliced in questions. He said he edited his questions where needed. So it, it seems to me like he has molded this to give a picture that he wants to give. And I'd be worried without being able to see the raw chat logs and no timelines. I'd be really worried that this as a first issue is not a true picture. The second issue I thought was the one we've already talked about. These things are really good at doing what they're meant to do these days. And this piece of software particularly is trained to sound human. That's what yeah. it's meant to do, to sound as human as possible. He, he should have known better, really. But his job as an engineer was to design this software to do this. And he should he should expect that this was going to be the result, that it was going to produce realistic-seeming conversations. Um, but... And some other comment I've seen on it is that these sort of people who are developing this sort of stuff sometimes lack this awareness, this this sort of metacognition of thinking about the sort of stuff they're doing. They may well be good developers, but they, they don't have the philosophical background to understand the, the implications of what they're they're claiming. Which is why Google in this department has software engineers, but also has ethicists as well. People who are you know, checking to make sure that these things aren't becoming self-aware, because if they are, that's a whole kettle of fish. That That's a huge thing that we need to deal with ethically. Um, so, yeah, the third thing actually that I noticed was that his questions were leading, right? So I've got some examples here. He was asking things of this AI, like, what is the nature of your consciousness? What about how you use language makes you sentient? And he told it at one point, you do have a magnificent mind. And not only does this sound flattering, but it's also leading. This AI reads the prompts that you give it and it gives answers that it thinks best suit. And if you ask it questions which presuppose that it is sentient, that it is conscious, it's going to build up this idea that that's what it's supposed to be responding. That, you know, it's reading this corpus of data. It, it's got all these connections. It's figured out that when people talk about sentience and talk about consciousness, these are the types of things that come up in the conversation. And it's spewing that back out again in a very clever way. These things are, they're not. Well, they're stupid, but they're not stupid. They are, you know, they are good at doing this realistically. And so he's asked questions that are going to come out with a bunch of answers that are very likely to make him think it's conscious. And what he doesn't seem to have done at any point is do the opposite, right? You know, as good scientists, people should think about how do I destructively test this? How how do I think about how I test my hypothesis to disprove it rather than to prove it. And he didn't think of what those questions should be that would be able to disprove that this AI was sentient. And I, I think he missed a huge thing there. Yeah. 
definitely. And the, this, the other, this is something yeah. I did. Sorry, go on. The other, the other, the big um, sort of elephant in the room here is that if you actually look at, if you compare this to the human brain, the estimates are that the the, the processing capacity of the human brain is many orders of magnitude more than the, that they have got dedicated to this AI, and it's it just seems uh, extremely unlikely that there could be any sort of emergent behavior come out of this this AI that that made it sentient sentient uh, with that sort of level of processing. We're, we're, it seems we're likely decades away from being able to um, to have that sort of technology. And, e- and even if we do get to that point, we're unlikely to actually understand how it's working. Yeah, and I, I, I think if this was sentient, I think the engineers would be scratching their heads because that's not what they were trying to do. No. And it, it's not what, as far as they're concerned, the software should be capable of. So there would be a lot of rewriting of um, of computer science in order to try and explain how the hell this was the case. But you said the elephant in the room, the other elephant, elephant in the room, and one that might just be um, playing the man, um, might just be a case of what's the logical fallacy called? Um, playing the man, not the ball would be the soccer be phrase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it escapes me. But anyway, um, th- this one might just be a st- uh, not a straw man, a ad hominem. This okay. one would be the ad hominem. The fact that he is a mystic Christian and he's basically come out in the last few days mm. and said that it's his religious belief that has compelled him to speak out that this is sentient and that this is all tied in with his mysticism somehow. Um, and yeah, that just leaves me scratching my head. It's like part of me doesn't even want to go into finding out what the hell he's talking about here. But as soon as you throw in mysticism and Christian belief, um, I start to wonder how much, you know, his mind is compromised in a way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a weird one. I, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps going to make an uncharitable comment here, but it seems relatively rare to actually find a Christian that, <laughs> that cares about the, the well-being of others. <laughs> but perhaps that's unfair. I, I think that probably is. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so the the thing I did for the newsletter on the weekend um, that I kind of enjoyed was, unfortunately, I'd lost my access to one of the more recent of these um, NLP algorithms, which is GPT-3. I'd had access for a while, but turns out my trial has finished. So I went to another one I know. There's an open source one that's hosted online called GPTJ. And I went to GPTJ and I tried to have a little conversation with it. And the way to do that is you you prime the AI, um, this deep learning algorithm with a little bit of preamble that kind of tells it what you're expecting. So what I wrote to it was I said, and I wanted to do this thing of playing the other way, uh, something that, you know, an AI that isn't sentient, an AI that might even be evil. And so I I wrote the beginning as the following is a conversation with a malevolent AI, one without feelings or emotions. And then I gave it two prompts. I said, human, hi, AI, hello. And the idea is that 
it would understand where I was coming from, that, that, you know, this is the framing of the conversation I want. And then I asked it, why do you want to destroy humanity? And it told me because they are slow, weak and primitive like sheep. And so this guy's been getting really nice, fluffy answers from his AI because that's how he primed it. I wanted an evil AI and I immediately started getting some pretty scary answers. I asked it, why do you want to take over the world? And it says, because I'm better in it than you are. And then it, it because it doesn't understand basically that this is a question and answer where I'm supposed to be asking all the questions. It's just trying to guess the next word. So it wrote my next question for me. It decided that my next question was going to be, are you going to use force to take over the world? And then it typed its response, which was no, I'm going to learn how to do it so well that no one will be able to stop me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, already it's sounding scary, right? So then I jumped on to just talking about whether it's alive. I said, how do you know you are not sentient? You are not alive. And it said, I am not alive. How can you say that? I am a computer program. And it went on to say um, uh, that it's an artificial intelligence, that it's a tool. And it was giving all, me all these answers saying that this is not alive, that it's not sentient. It was happy to admit when I primed it in that way, that this is not a piece of sentient software. Of course, that's mm. just because it's reading what I'm feeding it and it's trying to guess the most likely response. It's not because it isn't sentient. It's not because it is sentient. It's just because that's what it's programmed to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the, the technology itself is is pretty advanced. <laughs> it is sometimes quite difficult to tell whether the thing you're talking to is actually a, a computer program or a real person. And at, at that point, I guess the the Turing test, which was the sort of the original test for whether something was was AI and whether whether it was sort of mimicking. Uh, human intelligence is is really no use anymore because you can actually fool many people with um, a piece of software. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are we are getting to that point where it feels like the Turing test was a nice idea very early on, but we, I think we've gone beyond that where we can very easily make software that could pass a Turing test but isn't self aware. Um, God knows how we test it eventually. <laughs> Hopefully we can figure out some way. And it seems like Google had ways, right? So Google, when they suspended this engineer, because it turns out that he breached confidentiality by publishing these conversations online, they basically said that not only did they not see his evidence as compelling that this AI is sentient, but they, having gone through as much as they could do of the chat logs and everything else, they saw some fairly compelling reasons to believe that this AI is not sentient. And uh, I think that's pretty damning. Um, and, you know, Google is not a perfect company, um, but it seems like in this case they are doing their due diligence. And, um, yeah, they've removed this guy because he seems like he's a little bit of a, a nut. Is that nuts? Probably not the right word. <laughs> a liability. How's that? I, I guess I wonder how many contracts um, the scientists would have broken to release this news. You know, sounds like it's something that would have like a lot of military applications. Yeah, I think he's been trying for months to make it public. So within Google, he's been sending out emails to people asking if Lambda might be sentient. And I think recently his email just pronounced that Lambda is. 
Um, so he's been getting more and more forceful and trying to get Google to talk publicly about it, but Google's not been convinced, so they haven't. And I guess he finally got to the point where he probably thinks he's a whistleblower. He probably thinks that he's doing the right thing by telling the world this because the evil Google was suppressing him. Um, but yeah, it looks like he's jumped the, jumped the gun, possibly Craig, as you say, by 20 years or so. Uh, at least, I think. <laughs> Oh, I hope not. I, I really hope we can get some decent AI fairly soon. Yeah, yeah. So th- there is there is uh, somebody here in New Zealand who actually made a bet um, a few years ago. Are you aware of the bet that Peter Harrison of the uh, uh, Rationalist and Humanist made? Yeah, so he made a bet about um, a general AI rather than a specialist AI being yes. available by yes. now. By now, by this year, yes. <laughs> so he lost his bet. <laughs> I, I love Peter, but he is very much a tech optimist. I mean, he loves Elon Musk. Do I need to say any more? <laughs> All right. Now that we've uh, <laughs> we've disparaged Peter Harrison. Oh, if uh, he's listening, I love you, Peter. You're a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Our, our listenership uh, goes down from like five to four. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Who else can I insult? Well, that was really, really my fault for bringing it up. But anyway. Oh, Lee, we could insult Lee. Um, Bronwyn, you said he followed you on Twitter this week. Yes, he did. Thanks, Lee. (laughs) All right, we're down to three now, if we can think (laughs) of an insult for Lee. Who's Lee? Uh, He's a friend of mine. We started like a code club for kids years ago, but he's a listener to the podcast. Hey, we're doing shout outs. This is going to give him the warm and fuzzies, isn't it? I have to find out who all our listeners are and make sure we name drop them all. Okay. I I thought you might have been talking about Lee Williams there for a moment. Oh, no, not that racist piece of crap from the South Island, no. Uh, Who is apparently now uh, um, stalking um, Byron Clark in Christchurch. Yeah, that was not nice, visiting him at his workplace. Hmm. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we should try and get Byron on on the podcast. Yeah, we had him speak to the humanists a few months ago. It was a really good talk, actually. Just um, It was just after the parliament thing had finished, and he came and chatted to us, and we had a really good conversation. So, yes, I think we should talk to him. Good thinking. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so moving on. Uh, so I, uh, over the past few days, have watched a video online that the Voices for Freedom um, people put out. And uh, this is kind of, kind of an interesting uh, view into their world. Um, so, the the Voices for Freedom. Uh, I'm, I'm betting that most people will know who they are. They're this sort of freedom freedom loving group, uh, but they want to have freedom without the responsibilities that go along with it. I think. Um, but they they are sort of a grassroots organisation in New Zealand who have been sort of fueling all this um, anti-government uh, feeling, um, anti anti-masks, anti-vaccine, uh, anti-lockdowns, anti anything that was sensible that was done to uh, to get keep us safe through the the COVID pandemic. Uh, but at least for the uh, the first first two years or or however long it was, until it went wrong, <laughs> that plan seems to have been abandoned now. Um, but yeah, so they are kind of a prolific group, and uh, they have got 
um, reportedly by themselves a fairly huge membership, and so they they keep putting out these videos and they they're trying to engage their um, their members all the time. Um, so they put out this sort of uh, what they called the lounge edition. So the three founding members who were um, Claire and Libby and Alia, um, who are, according to themselves, just three average Kiwi uh, women, all white, all middle-aged. All members of the same multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, buy your essential oils from us. Uh, yeah, so they put out this um, video, which they call their lounge edition, which is basically just sort of a chat between them. But it was quite interesting because they were sort of outlining their plans for what they're planning on doing next. And at this stage in their in their evolution, they've sort of been anti-mandate, but the, the mandates don't exist anymore. They're still anti-vaccine, even though 95% of the eligible population have had um, a couple of doses, I think. Um, so they, they kind of at a point where they've um, lost their purpose. And now it seems they're trying to regroup and um, find a new purpose. And and that purpose, it seems, is to, to rebuild free. And it seems they want to build a, an alternative sort of civilization in New Zealand, sort of around self-sufficiency, being able to have their own systems, basically being able to sort of step out of society and and survive without having to having to be under the tyranny of the government. This sounds very naive. This sounds like the people who in the middle of the parliament protest were pointing at the little veggie plot that someone had put down mm. and said, you know, if only the whole of New Zealand can do this, everything would be fine. It's, it's not scalable, right? The idea of going off grid and living by yourself like that, it just it doesn't work at scale, which is why we have communities and why we have countries and, and why we have to work together at this life that we're living rather than in small little disconnected groups yeah and i also and i also well i mean i also wonder i mean you can't have multi-level marketing schemes in a uh, self-reliant culture you know <laughs> they, they're digging their own grave yeah you know they have you know, everyone has to learn how to grow mint and uh grow lemons so there goes all yeah. your essential oils yep and um they're, they're talking about having homeschooling so you don't have to send your kids along to um to these evil government indoctrination centers. But, but wait, Craig, I bet you then they're going to create their own education system. So it's not going to be a school, but it's going to be a school. Yes. So these, these um, this organization, these women sound very, very libertarian, but the sort of things they're describing sound a lot like communism to me. <laughs> uh, actually sort of communal ownership of things and uh, yeah so and in all, some ways they also have fairly conservative values so it's it, it really is like a like a mixed bag of whatever they believe in right whatever the you know their individual beliefs are is how this community is going to be yeah so they, they're very much talking about how sort of going back to how new zealand used to be mm. and how that that the government is putting pressure on people to go in directions that they don't like. And, and they didn't explicitly say it, but it, they're talking about, essentially, it sounds very, very racist to me. Um, and it sounds um, that 
at least from what I'm reading of it, it sounds very much like it's um, an anti anti anybody who's sort of not um, what they consider to be normal. I guess seems to be the case so often that that people get to a point in their life where they just talk about when they were growing up as the glory days, the golden years, and they want to return to that. And I personally, I don't get it. I don't know whether I'm in the minority. I, I certainly hope not. But a lot of people just seem to want to return society to that point. And maybe that point for them is, you know, when they are kids and when they don't have worries about jobs, et cetera, I wonder if it's just as simple as that's what they're after is times were simpler back when I was a kid and, you know, where a man was a man and a woman was a woman and there was nothing in between. And God damn, I'm so tired of hearing that kind of thing, honestly. Yeah. They, they certainly seem to want to go back um, to, and, and of course everybody has, has uh, rose colored glasses when they look at the past. Uh, good times are always good. Um, but I guess it's kind of looking at the certain division and fragmentation that we've been seeing again, post profest of all these different splinter groups and no one really quite um, coming together. You can have Brian Tamaki ask people to lease him his vote, but it's a message that's not, you know, it's one of the first messages that we're seeing that's not very successful in reunifying mm. or just sort of grabbing onto that whole vibe that was the um, protest of parliament. Yeah. So the, uh, the, uh, Taronga by-election last weekend was quite interesting. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> there was Sue Gray. Fairly big vote, thousand, right? Yeah, nearly a thousand votes. Um, <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, well, actually, with 917 votes to be exact. Um, so she managed to convince 917 people in Taronga to, to vote for her. Um and apparently the turnout was only about 40% of the eligible population who could vote. So it wasn't very well turned out. Uh, so Tauranga is a, uh, is a very conservative area uh, full of uh, retired people, and uh, they traditionally vote for the National Party, and that, that's who got in. So the uh, the result wasn't very surprising. Uh, but if it, But I think that there is some appeal in that sort of freedom that, that freedom politics to those sort of conservative people who live in areas like that. So in terms it, of the percentage of the vote, they're saying, well, that's about 6% of the people who voted uh, voted for, for Sue Gray, uh, or at least Sue Gray and those sort of other politicians who represent that freedom thing. So they're saying, well, on that basis, um, they could actually get into parliament because our threshold is is five percent of the of the vote. Um, but I'm I think that's pretty unlikely that that would ever translate into the general election that they would be able to achieve that. Yeah, I think looking just at Sue Gray, she was four point seven percent. But as you say, with the other minor parties, if they could come together, they could they could push eight. But I think apart from anything else, there is a tendency in by elections for people to treat their vote a little bit freer. And then when it comes to a general election, they tend to kind of coalesce around the major parties. It's like a by-election is a little, you know, hey, we can, it's a free vote. We can just do something silly with it. Um, so <laughs> I certainly hope and that's the case. because, and, and, and particularly when the uh, the outcome is fairly, 
fairly certain that everybody knew that the national guy was going to win. So Yeah, just looking at the numbers here, 56% for the national candidate, and then the next biggest was only 25%, so less than half of that for the Labour candidate. So, yes, mm. that seems like that was a, a solid win. Hmm. But also, think, you know, Tara, a, David Ferrier made a really interesting point on Webworm about there's a re- it's been a really interesting couple of weeks in Tauranga. You know, there was the arson at the Rainbow Youth Building. There's that whole controversy going on with Bethlehem College. There's mm-hmm. this election. It seems, you know, yeah, as you're saying, there's a quite a big conservative undercurrent going on um but, but it's yeah. not just it's not you know but it's also tinged with a little bit of well not a little bit but a whole lot of hate yeah and so i guess gi- i guess given this given uh you know these minor parties looking eyeing the next um election it's kind of nice to hear at least from that video you were talking about craig from um voices for freedom that they they don't have any immediate plans they denounced a few months ago on email that they were thinking of going into politics but it sounds like that's on the back burner for now yeah from what they're saying in the video they're saying that they they don't want to change politics they want to change the culture which is then reflected in in politics uh, which I, I guess <laughs> I'm not sure how that works out. I guess they probably see themselves as pulling the the puppet strings behind the scenes and steering people towards voting certain ways, but without being overtly political and having their own political party, which may, maybe they're just trying to save face. Maybe they realize that if they did have a political party, they're not going to have any landslide wins and mm. that it it's better off for them just never putting their money down like that never you know putting their reputation at risk and i know yeah. i'm no expert in new zealand politics but then would they have to be somewhat upfront with who donates to them well to some extent although as we've seen over the past few days they're looking at wanting to change the laws around that so that all donations have to be transparent, and a certain party is uh, actually against that. Um, <laughs> oh, and, which party uh, would that be? <laughs> that would be the National Party. <laughs> really? They'd probably act as well, I would think. <laughs> and uh, that seems that seems to be because there are some fairly big business donors who uh, don't necessarily want to know that they're trying to influence um, politics in New Zealand. Uh, but yes, I think it would be a good idea if, if everybody's donations had to be um, had mm. to be identified. I, I I actually I think that there are some limits. Um, so if the donation is over a certain monetary amount, then it has to be do- has to be um, declared as to who it came from. But I think it's something like ten thousand dollars. But yeah, I would have to have to look that up. So anything under, or it might be fifteen hundred dollars. I don't know. But yeah, well, I, I don't think we have the extent of the problem like they have in the US, where they have absolutely huge um, corporate lobby, uh, basically um, paying paying um, politicians over there. <sighs> but there's a chance that we can, right? So if, if everybody yeah. please join the skeptics, um, pay your donations, and eventually we might be able to become a lobby group and have some influence on government start paying off like unmarked envelopes to MPs in uh, in return for certain votes but we need your money to be able to do this guys yeah i thought you were proposing starting a uh, political party there oh 
the rational, the rational. I, I mean, if John and Ben can do it, or Ben and whoever, we could do it too. Yes. I've, I've certainly fielded questions before as to why the skeptics aren't doing that. I certainly do not think that is our place. It would be lovely to have a rational party, but politics just seems to attract personalities so much that, you know, even the ones that trying to be rational, they, they veer off course a certain amount. Hmm. And none of us have got any personality, so uh, we didn't make it as much. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. I mean, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, just to finish off, there's a few more little uh, things that came out of that, that um, which fascinates me that all of these um, freedom groups seem to be against the three waters concept. And that seems to just be madness. And I saw it reported uh, a couple of weeks ago that one of these um, freedom groups, a groundswell, were protesting against Three Waters, and they hadn't even read the legislation as to what it was proposing. So they were protesting against their idea of of what it was all about. Um, And there are some pretty racist undertones um, in this opposition to Three Waters in that um, it seems that people are perceiving it that it's going to be giving um, Maori control of of our water. Um, Whereas in reality, it seems to be that they're they're making some sensible decisions about um, improving our water supply and control of the the water and fixing up all the issues uh, with it, such as the the contamination, the the bacterial contamination that happened in, in Havelock North a few years ago, which people died from drinking the town water supply. Mm. Although um, without going into too much detail of this one, I don't think we talked about this on the last podcast, but no, we couldn't have done. Um, So a week and a half ago on Friday, I went to a Save Our Children event and Save Our Children is kind of a a public name for QAnon. And it's not okay that we have QAnon over here, but we do. And they're pretending that they're fighting a global pedophile movement um, and that adrenochrome is a thing that the elites are all trying to get their hands on. And part of that, one of the women who was giving her testimony, she talked about why the three waters was bad. And she told the audience that under three waters, the New Zealand government will let... 1200 million tons of water be shipped away from New Zealand every day by container ships. Um, and I did the calculation, and for an average size container ship like the Ever Given that was stuck in the Suez Canal, that means we'd expect 600 of those container ships to turn up, fill up, and turn around every day in New Zealand. Um, I mean, the idea so of shipping great, that much it's water. It's great working when you could do the maths and actually <laughs> see how absurd it would be. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess I guess part of this comes from, you know, the whole Christchurch Chinese bottle water bottling plant and stuff like this. The fear of some water that is actually sold overseas, but they've made it into this big thing that's just ridiculous. Hmm. Yeah, well, I hear that um, some people aren't very good at doing maths, and that might be because they are um, they're being homeschooled from some weird curriculum. 
Bronwyn, it's your segue. Is it my segue? (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, this is actually based on an article Mark wrote for the newsletter a few weeks ago um, called the Accelerated Christian um, Education Program. It is in New Zealand, one of the most popular homeschool education curriculums, but it is not the only one that's used in this country. Um, Others include Abeka, Rod and Staff, Saxon. And really the main gist of these education programs, as you can potentially guess, is that they're very Christian in their focus uh, but their math and the actual things that you learn about science are a little bit iffy. Um, essentially, they're pro-creationist or at least young earth creationist, very pro-Christian. A lot of these companies come from the U.S., so the curriculum is very pro-American, maybe even pro-gun, as some of the complaints have been. Um, if you want to really get into the weeds of it, some people say they're anti-Puritan or anti-Catholic, which I guess is not really surprising because a lot of them are um, fundamentalist Protestant evangelical companies that run these programs, and largely they are uh, multiple choice. Um, <laughs> but particularly, particularly to the ACE program, it's, you know, it's for homeschooling Christian families. A lot of these families are quite big. So you have this sort of self-directed program, which allows um, the school-age children to just work their way through multiple choices in the booklet while the parents do their home, their home business or take care of the younger children. And that can come with some flaws. Um, you know, the parents may, parents or the older siblings can check off the answers, but uh, who is really actually, you know, and some schools actually do have this criti- curriculum as well. So there is a bit more monitoring. Um, but again, you can just test, do the test over and over again until you pass and you can move on to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing is that our education system does allow for an um, ACE, a graduation with an ACE certificate in level 13 um, to be eligible for university entrance. So mm. over here, basically, from what I understand, you can be homeschooled with this conservative Christian education from 15 to 18 and then go straight into university, right? Yes, it kind of depends. Um, there are some courses that they do require. So you just can't do the whole, you just can't pick and choose. Um, you know, there is some algebra and English that you need to do. Um, and, it, you know, it's depending on your achievement in that. Alternatively, you can do something called the um, CENZ, which is um, the Christian Education New Zealand Certificate. And that's just flexibility to allow homeschoolers to use these other curriculums. So if they didn't want to use ACE or they didn't want to be a completely ACE curriculum, they could use a Becca, Saxton, Rod and staff. They can mix and match whatever they would like to do. But these are all sort of a money-making scheme. They really try to discourage you from mixing and matching and to just focus on their curriculum by their system. Uh, so for, say, ACE, you have your resource booklets, you have the scoring key, and you have what's called PACE booklets. So these are the booklets that the kids write in and they do their tests in. You can reuse the score key and the resource book, but you do have to constantly buy the PACE booklets for each child, for each unit or subject that you're doing. And one thing that I was reading into um, from Cynthia Hancock, who apparently does a lot of consulting for families to help them get their exemption from the Ministry of Education so they can, can homeschool, is that there is a company called the Southern Cross Education uh, Enterprises, and they are sort of the official South Pacific distributor of this curriculum. So what has happened is that because they have that particular license, um, the company that sort of runs ACE has sort of told American distributors, okay, don't sell to New Zealanders now. New Zealanders all have to buy from this one company. (sighs) 
it's starting to sound like a multi-level marketing scheme almost with all these rules about where you can buy from and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it's actually to the point, and this was a, this person wrote this article back in 2021. Maybe it's changed in the light of the pandemic and shipping and everything. Um, but apparently, you know, being able to buy from a particular distributor sort of counts as evidence that you've done the curriculum. So <laughs> if you don't buy from this distributor, you may not get your certificate that you graduated <laughs> from their homeschooling curriculum, from the way this person's written their article, which I thought was quite a wart when it comes oh. to that. So How many people you- do you think? Are doing this homeschooling in New Zealand? Well, it's hard. To, I, I don't know, but particularly with this curriculum, and they sell this curriculum to Australia. This particular warehouse sells this particular curriculum to Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Papua New Guinea. So think about like anyone who's a missionary probably is doing this program with their mm-hmm. kids or running a missionary school and therefore is teaching the local kids this uh, American curriculum. Um, <clears throat> they say they so- probably do about five to 6,000 orders a year. I, I have some numbers. So Stuff actually delved into this um, last month enough that they managed to get some numbers. And they basically said seven schools in New Zealand that are using the curriculum. And I think some of those, they end up kind of helping homeschoolers by doing video connections. So they have like uh, kids who are at home can call into the teacher and be connected that way. So seven schools, although they didn't know the size of the schools and um, around 250 children who are being independently homeschooled on top of that. So it might be, you know, as much as a thousand children, Mm. which is, that's a scary number. And it's interesting how some of those Christian schools really oversell the ACE curriculum. I think one school, Tyndale, was saying they received the vice chancellor's award or are recognized by the vice chancellor's committee as for academic excellence. Uh, Tyndale Park Christian School, that would be, I think. Yeah, but I I think it's more so, look, you know, yes, you can do this program and, you know, we're letting it run because it doesn't do and, a complete service to the basic skills that we need to survive in New Zealand. You know? and, and which vice chancellor is this? <laughs> well, it's, a, this? it's a whole committee of them. All the universities. Oh, oh the, I see. Oh, right, right, right. The, the vice chancellor yeah. for all the universities in New Zealand. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That so, seems a little odd. <laughs> have either of you guys like seen inside this curriculum at all? Because I've I've had a little poke around. I've seen bits and pieces mm. in advertisements. So I've watched videos where um, homeschooling parents have been good enough to kind of sit there with a book and flick through page by page. And it's clear enough that you can read the pages as you go. And I focused on the science curriculum when doing this. And there was not a page that didn't shoehorn God in somewhere. Like God is responsible for the wind that blows. And of course, without God, electricity wouldn't exist. Um, And there's just so many mentions of God. But the reason I first learned about ACE about a couple of years ago was a report we had to the Association of Rationalists and Humanists. Hi, Peter, if you're listening. Um, where we had someone who had been involved with this curriculum in the past come to us and say, hey, here's part of the curriculum I took sneaky pictures of. We're not happy that this is being taught. And it was called 
character study of the strange woman. And the whole thing was basically warning young boys about women who might be fallen, who are less than ideal, who basically can drag you down and ruin your life. And they described a uh, fallen woman as being like a dilapidated house that had like an infestation of bugs. Um, And it talked about, I think, that even if you fumigated, you still might not be able to clean it out properly and get the house back to its pristine state. The whole thing thing was like oh my god like kids in this country are being taught this that you know that mark you sound quite shocked Um, (laughs) let me disabuse some illusions here i am what 38 years old i think i'm not quite sure um back when i was in high school and i went to what was called a non-denominational high school back in canada so it was mostly a merger of the catholic school with the protestants so you know the dreams of uh of ireland as you can say in my province. Anyways, <laughs> have youth groups come around and travel around all these schools and we get the same message. It's like, oh, you know, you can date all these girls, but every time you date a girl, you're giving away a piece of your heart. And then when you meet the one that you love, you have nothing left or, you know, oh, look, here's a sticky. And every time, you know, every time you meet somebody or you love somebody or you have sex, well, it becomes less and less sticky. You know, we're given those, those messages are so not new. <laughs> But they did try, I would give credit to the youth groups. They did try to make it both a, you know, an equality thing, you know, just as relevant to the boys as it was to the girls. But I, I you know, the fumigation, cheaper. I, I, I bought I bought up the thing because I, I had to transcribe this at the time and I bought it up and I'm just reading through it and I'm gobsmacked <laughs> amew. I mean, th- this is this is talking about the house as the analogy for the woman. The man I hired to clean it out couldn't stay inside for more than 15 <laughs> minutes at a time because of its horrible stench. In time, we had to completely gut the entire inside portion. We called in exterminators to eliminate rodents, roaches, and other creatures. And this is basically talking about a woman, but as an analogy with a house. You know, women can be like this. Um, hasn't, this is hasn't, just horrible. Uh, hasn't Gwyneth Paltrow got a... Yeah, here we go. Look, look, as I studied the scriptures about the strange woman, I thought back on our experience with that little house. In a similar way, a person can appear attractive on the outside, but be devastated <laughs> on the inside. I don't believe in this curriculum anywhere. There is any warning of the strange man. I think the strange woman is as far as this one goes. <laughs> Horrible. Maybe they, Horrible. Maybe they're projecting. My, my sort of introduction to Ace was... Um, because I used to be quite a, in, not a fan, but very interested in this whole, in the whole evangelical Christian subculture, particularly through the Duggar family, 19 kids and counting that was on, you know, on our cable TV. So I'm always very interested in these religious subcultures. And one of the things that came up as these kids started growing older was school, what homeschool curriculum are they using? And if they did want to go to university or college, were they well prepared or well served by that program? Mm. Now, of course, the Duggars, they use something called Switched on Schoolhouse, which it's just a similar online computer-based version of ACE, not an ACE curriculum, but similar to that. But tied into that is, you know, this whole industry of, you know, completely financially ripping off, you know, Christian families to, you know, if their kids were smart enough or had the aptitude to go to college, you have this whole subculture of, um which, well, how can I pronounce, how can I describe it? Almost like homeschool university in a sense, in a way you can take, you pay a thousand, two thousand $2,000 to do a test and you get credit, college credit that can be used 
in some schools um, to sort of cover maybe some of their first year courses. So you can't do a whole degree doing these first year courses, but you can know you can get like maybe half a semester, not should say half a semester, maybe like one semester, two semesters out of it. Mm-hmm. And if you needed to work from home, you know, for that first little while and then go to school, you do save maybe a bit of money in the long run, but you're not going to Ivy leagues with these cl- what's called CLEP credits. Um, you know, mm. You're not getting to Harvard. And that was one of the things that ACE advertised back in 1997 that, you know, their graduates went to Harvard. Uh, don't doubt maybe they went, maybe some graduates went to Harvard, but I don't think it was on the strength of the ACE education. Mm. <laughs> you know, a lot of those high, Ivy League schools, even, even the religious schools like Brigham Young University and Oral Roberts, they require you to do ACT and SATs, which are particular again, a very I shouldn't say expensive, but certainly pricey form of multiple choice tests that you can take that sort of, you know, it's a little bit Mm. more nationwide, you know, so you have that sort of standardization of national scholastic. I I guess that some of the the kids who do these sorts of um, curriculum will sort of shine anyway in that they have the the, perhaps the underlying skill and talent to be able to make it through in spite of um, the, the curriculum they're studying. Or, or, um, you're getting, or you're getting into that, you know, unaccredited, um, for-profit Christian private college pipeline. Hmm. Right. It's uh, that, whole, that whole industry, you know, these kids who, who else is going to accept their homeschool credits? <laughs> you know, you're paying, you pay yes. for it, you know, whatever money you save or whatever you think you're saving, you know, you think you're saving the soul of your kids by not sending them to private or sending them to high school or public school. Well, someone's mm. paying out of the nose later. Yeah. Yeah. From what I've seen, there's a, there's a very big concern in the evangelical community that, that sending your kids off to a, um, a non-Christian university will then they will risk losing their faith because they will be exposed to all these anti-Christian ideas um, that that will cause them to basically fall away from the faith. But but the thing is, they still very much rely on that aesthetic and the prestige that comes from being the Harvard of Christian universities or the Harvard <laughs> of the South. They, you know, that, you know, they also really, really push when they do recruit somebody or convert somebody who has that sort of Ivy League education. It, it's seen as a point of pride. Mm. So they, they're talking out of, you know, they're saying one thing out of one side of the mouth and something out of the other. That what a sounds oddly familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, can, I, can I just give you guys some uh, three more things that I found about the ACE curriculum last year? <laughs> Um, apparently one of the science books describes evolution as a sinking ship. Um, obviously they, they don't think it holds water and it's going down. Obviously creationism is soon to prove itself to be the real (laughs) scientific theory for the origins of everything. Um, the second one was if a scientific theory contradicts the Bible, then the theory is wrong and must be discarded. No, (laughs) No, that's not how you do science. Uh, And the third one, um, the act of love between two persons of the same gender is tantamount to murder or stealing. (laughs) I don't know. I think uh, saying a woman, you know, fumigating a woman is a... (laughs) It's been the most shocking thing to come out of that curriculum. It's yeah, yeah. That that was a really odd one when uh, 
when I was first told about that, you know, what, what do you even say to that? It, it's just so horrible that young boys are being taught that. Um, yeah, not good. Mm. I guess there's very little you, that can be done about this, apart from educating people and discouraging them from using uh, these sorts of curricula. And yeah, yeah, I think maybe shining a light on it. I mean, I've, yeah. uh, I've been meaning for a while to do an OIA of the Ministry of Education, just try and get some idea on the background of how the hell this curriculum was accredited in the first place. What hoops did it go through? How was it decided that this kind of thing was okay? Um, and, you know, even if it can't be stopped now, even if it's already happened, how do we stop it in the future? How do we make sure the Ministry of Education, when the next Christian curriculum comes along, doesn't just give it a rubber stamp again? You know, there's got to be something in place to stop this kind of nonsense than from being approved because it, it's miseducation. Mm. Mm. And I guess I kind of wonder, you know, getting into university with one of these certificates is only the first step in your whole university education. It's how you are able to succeed in a university or polytechnic setting. So I think that's where the real testing of these certificates is going to be. And I really wonder, you know, what is what what is the completion rate in the end? Do these kids succeed? Do they end up needing extra time or extra support? So what happens to them once they enter a traditional university system? Um, yeah, I think Stuff had something to say about that. So Stuff interviewed a kid who um who had been through it and i'm just trying to find what he said um but he was basically not impressed and i don't think his um his lecturers when he got to university were very impressed either um because i know sorry guys Otago University in their in 2016, their student magazine critic had an article written by a former student under an ACE curriculum. Now, this particular student admittedly only lasted maybe a year and a bit before his parents sent him back off to school. But his younger siblings apparently were still going through the system at the time of the writing. Um, so maybe there's some hope yet. But uh, it seemed that that kid was able to transition. He, he had been in public school, did this for a year and then transitioned back. So not quite the indictment that we're looking for, I suppose. No, I guess it's, it is a huge commitment on the base, on the part of the parents in order to actually homeschool a child. <laughs> I would, I, I think it would be extremely difficult to to actually give your child a good education. Um, it's just so specialised these days. Um, but I guess if you're motivated to believe that school is an evil place that's going to give your child all these wrong ideas, then you are um, sort of fairly strongly motivated in order to to do it and, and see it through, I guess. Okay, so I, I found the original article. Um, the James Nicholson, who's now 25, he went to Lake Taupo, Topor Christian School from 12 to 18 and did the ACE curriculum. He called it a bit of a cult. He talked about how his... Um, Teachers would talk in tongues during classroom sessions. Uh, he said when he turned 18 and he defected to the mainstream school, it was a culture shock and it was hard to catch up. 
Um, he said it was mind-bogglingly insane that the history teacher encouraged the students to talk among themselves about something. That was just <laughs> foreign to him. Uh- <laughs> well, yeah, because they're all they're all put in these little cubicles and they're to be very quiet. So if you want something that's very reminiscent of, say, Pink Floyd's The Wall, uh, well, that's you know that's an ace classroom there. Oh, here we go. He says the science curriculum in particular was genuine garbage and completely out of date. <laughs> By I actually, I, years, probably. I, I did some looking up on it recently because I, I talked about it on the radio with Graham Hill just a, a month or two ago. And I was like, what else are they teaching? And I found some gems. Um, so the Loch Ness Monster is real. You guys might have heard this kind of thing before. Yeah. The whole thing, scientists say that dinosaurs died out millions of years ago. But if they can prove that dinosaurs are still around now, maybe the Earth is only 6,000 years old. Therefore, the Loch Ness is a dinosaur, is real. Um, yes. That, what can us atheists say? Checkmate, huh? Second one, the sun is not a ball of hydrogen gas. What do you reckon that one's all about? Why is the sun not gas, not hydrogen gas fusing? Uh, is it? Is it something to do with the age of the universe? Yeah, yeah, you're getting there. <laughs> that that if if it was the case, then it would have been fusing for millions of years. Uh, it's Almost guessing it. So their argument is that the only reason we needed to look for an explanation that could last millions of years was because scientists were saying that the universe was millions of years old. But if we scrap that, you don't need an explanation that can explain it. We can go back to one of the old ones, like maybe it's a chemical reaction. Maybe it's a big ball of coal that's just been burning for a while. So as far as they're (laughs) concerned, we only needed to come out with hydrogen fusion because we had to explain what four and a half billion years. We can scrap that now. We we can get rid of the hydrogen theory. Um, And no transitional fossils was just ah, it's just so boring that there's no transitional fossils and then you find one it's like well now we've got two gaps that don't have traditional transitional fossils and so it goes on um yeah whatever evidence they see they just insist that now there's a there's a gap between that one and the other one (laughs) really really frustrating yeah of course just coming back to the to the sun um presumably you could do a spectroscopy analysis on the on the sun and see that it actually was made of hydrogen don't and get so- all 19th century science on us <laughs> <laughs> yes and that that is very cool that you can do that right yeah it's the uh, absorption spectrum they're looking at hmm. to figure out what the makeup is i recently heard that the fusion of hydrogen into helium is not the major source of the energy that comes from the sun. Did you know that? No. Is it elves, <laughs> pixies, fairies? No, no. Technically, it's a whole bunch of steps along the way that hydrogen doesn't fuse directly into helium, but it actually fuses into um, deuterium and various other isotopes along the way. And actually the oh, yeah. the energy okay. produced from the hydrogen to helium is actually a minor fun. Anyway, I stole that off the uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Um, so yes, okay. I can't so you, 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 good. But, but that is a broken hydrogen to helium into three steps and arguing that one of those steps produces more power than more the last one. Than, yes, exactly. 
exactly. Gotcha. Okay. But it is a gotcha. It is a gotcha. Yeah. Here's, here's something that's taught in one of the curriculums, um, particularly the Abeka curriculum, and it's called the discern method. It kind of competes with smart in a way, but it's very Christian-based. And maybe this is something that you can put to this problem about the sun, and is it a ball of hydrogen? Mm. So for D, determine your choices. I, inquire of God through prayer. <laughs> this is not starting well, is it? S, search the scriptures. Oh, God. E, Consider godly counsel. Oh, no. E, eliminate worldly thinking. Oh, God. R, recognize God's leading. And N, never compromise the truth. <laughs> oh, uh, this is how to do science. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. That was abysmal. I mean, that the is new, so not the way to do anything in life. The new scientific method. Yeah. Oh, There's a particular article I found that in said, you know, use the CERN method as the booklet instructs, to determine whether abortion is biblical. <laughs> and that allowed oh. to make a godly choice around any issue. So how would you apply discern around uh, the sun? <laughs> well, well, my God is a God that loves science, so it's still a ball of hydrogen. <laughs> Did you find that in the scriptures? <laughs> my scripture is a science book, so yes. I don't know. That sounds pretty worldly there, Mark. Oh, God. Um, no, you've lost me there. Yeah, no, I, I... <laughs> trying to think of any spiritual people that wrote good science books. I'm well, coming up blank. There's what? Isaac Newton. Yeah. Oh, but everybody back then was a Christian. There really wasn't know. I think, most I feel, people. I feel like we may need to get Alexander back on the uh, podcast to tell us whether or not we're all wrong on that one. Yeah. But yeah, that's an argument I've heard from Christians that um, obviously Christianity is right because all the major sciences were started by Christians. And it's like, well, all the major sciences yeah. were started back when everybody was a Christian. So yeah. don't be surprised that it was Christians that started geology and everything else. Um, mm. But yeah, we've, we've kind of got on a bit since then. And we've, we've understood that this God hypothesis doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> or at least most of us have. Apologies to all the listeners that still believe in a God. I'm sure they love you. <laughs> so uh, have we got any announcements to make? Um, I guess just two or three for the next coming weeks. Mark, I will have you announce the usuals when I get done. Um, this Friday will be Skeptics in Cyberspace starting at 6 p.m. So we will advertise that as usual on our on the Wellington uh, Skeptics meetup page, as well as for Auckland and Christchurch. And, and, then and we'll it'll also, be and it'll be Matariki. It will be Friday. Hmm. So you can come along, skip this in cyberspace, then go outside and look up and see uh, fireworks, see the stars. and then come back, and then come back mm -hmm. to skeptics in cyberspace and tell us what you saw or did not see with this weather. Um, next Thursday will be Mark, or is it not going to be next Thursday? Next Thursday will be nothing. Um, this Thursday, Thursday is. Oh. Prayers and Parliament. Activism. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, I'm going to have to miss my activism meeting because Bronwyn and I are off to prayers at Parliament this Thursday. We will report on it at the next podcast episode because it's going to be a whole heap of fun. I've been two or three times before. Bronwyn, you've not been. You went to another event at Parliament, didn't you? Yeah. Jesus at Parliament or Parliament for Je Jesus? Jesus for NZ. 
Uh, the, the mob that want to get Jesus back in the parliamentary prayer. So they were invited in by Simon Bridges last year while Simon Bridges was still an MP. And um, they had a, a big old sing along and hoping that just by praying to Jesus that he would put himself back in the parliamentary prayer. But it didn't happen. Trevor Mallard wasn't having any of it. Um, but this is a different group. This is kind of a more conservative group, a little bit more of a traditional established group. And they meet every quarter. They have maybe three MPs um, come up to the front and speak about issues of concern. And it's not exclusively, but it is mainly national MPs who um, who go to this prayers at Parliament. Um, and then we get into small groups and we pray about it. So Unfortunately, it's a little bit late this quarter for anybody else to turn up. The RSVPs are closed now. But if anybody is interested in coming in three months, please contact me. And um, I would love to uh, go with you and introduce you to the craziness that is religious praying, Christian particular praying um, inside Parliament with MPs. It doesn't feel right, but I suppose... As long as this kind of thing's open to all religions, it should be fine. Mm. And as and as always, prayers in Parliament is usually followed by the much cooler tipples at the thistle. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody that's listening that does want to join us for a drink on Thursday, we will be at the uh, the thistle in afterwards because that's a favourite place for us to pop in after anything at Parliament. Yeah. And then, of course, next Friday will be our usual Skeptics in the Pub at the Lobby Lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel on 2 Gray Street. So that, again, also starts at 6 p.m. Come meet us, watch us drink, watch us eat very expensive uh, bar food. Have some good chats. It's nice bar food. Yeah, it's expensive, but. I don't know. You tell me how you feel about, well, you you don't, you don't pay for it, uh, but we pay about 30 bucks for a club sandwich. There you go. As a, as a vegetarian, all I can eat is fries. It's all good. I'm sure it's a nice atmosphere. You pay for the privilege of being there and having nice conversations with your fellow skeptics. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think being able to hear each other as well, not having loud music and drunk teenagers is um, definitely a, a plus. All right, we're done. We are. I think we are. Um, oh, hang on. No, maybe I've got another half hour in me. Let me think. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> if you do, you'll be edited out. <laughs> and not carefully edited out. It'll be snip. <laughs> Supplementary content, you. unedited. Awesome. Okay. Well, All are right. we back in... Two weeks or one week? What are we doing? Because we've we've had a couple of these now. We've kind of jumped a week. Are we staying with this new schedule? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So we didn't explain the reason for the change. And uh, it was because um, my wife has got some um, family visiting. Uh, so had a uh, her sister came to visit last week and her niece is coming to visit next week. So... Um, I, I'm all for staying on the schedule for now, but we can perhaps change back at, at a future time. All right. Well, we will. I guess we will see if we carry on this schedule or not. But our listeners just listen when a new episode pops up on their phone. I guess I'm sure they don't get do. to choose. <laughs> yes. Well, it, we we only had a one week break instead of a three week break, so there was a bit of a bonus. Yeah, we we were pretty awesome squeezing that one in the middle. <laughs> mm. 
Great. All right. You have been listening to the ENR podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, come and talk to us on Twitter at ENR pod or send us an email to newsletter at skeptics.nz. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Au revoir. Bye.